Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Let's join together for prayer and ask God's blessings as we do uh, prepare our hearts for His Word. Dear Gracious Lord and Father, we thank You so much that You've blessed us with Your Holy Word and we thank You for the privilege of joining together to hear Your message to us today and we thank You for the gift of Your Holy Word that speaks to our hearts and the Spirit that that uh, brings it alive for us so that we might apply it to our heart. Lord, bless us as we seek to, to understand and know Your Word. And Lord, we thank You and we praise You for Your presence in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 1 is where we're going to be uh, primarily, but I'm going to reference a lot of other Scripture and and uh, you don't have to turn there if you don't feel like it. But uh, today, uh, last Sunday, we talked about uh, the uh, the real meaning of Christmas, the real significance of Christmas, and uh, we talked about the incarnation of Christ at that time. And uh, today, I want to ask you uh, to think about what you feel like is the uh, true Christmas story. And and a lot of us have. A lot of conceptions about what uh, Christmas truly is about. Uh, uh, for a lot of us, we when we talk about Christmas, we have conjure up images of our childhood and when we had uh, when we were little kids, or maybe when uh, we had children of our own that were small and and everybody was all excited about Christmas. I, I remember one of the most uh, uh, exciting things about Christmas was is that. Uh, my mom and dad would would tell me and my brother to wait before coming out of our room on Christmas morning. We couldn't just come tearing in there because it took a little while for my dad to get up and and to get dressed and get out there because of uh, his uh, limitations and everything. And so uh, we had to wait for him to get up and get out there. And, and it was none of this 5 a.m. kind of stuff. We got up early, but uh, Dad uh, had to get in there, and he wanted to be able to get situated in his chair because he had to get his camera ready to take pictures of us as we came into the uh, uh, the uh, uh, the room where the Christmas tree was. Now, this was a room that was not used for anything all the rest of the year. Did you have one of those rooms? A, a living room. It was called a living room. Uh, it's strange that it was called a living room because we didn't do any living in that room. It was always, it was almost set aside like a, a, a museum piece for whenever we had company. And we didn't have company that often. It was adjacent to the dining room, which again was a oxymoron in that we hardly ever dined in there because it was set aside for special occasions and, and uh, people that came over that were real important. So we'd dine in there. And maybe at Thanksgiving and Christmas, we had eaten there, but most of the time we ate at a, at a, a breakfast bar in the uh, other part of the house. And and so the great, uh, my dad would get in there and he would sit down in his chair and he'd get his camera ready so that he could take a picture of us. And then mama would say, okay, it's all right. And it was like uh, letting go of the hounds at, at uh, 
uh, the racetrack, my brother and I would come tearing out of our rooms and go running down the hall. And, uh, of course, I'd have on my pajamas with uh, socks on. And I would come tearing down the hall, and I wouldn't stop lo- uh, fast enough to, to make the turn into the, the living room. So I'd go sliding through the hallway on those socks. And, and then uh, I would bump into my brother where he was coming out of his room. And then we'd come tearing around the the uh, uh, the corner there, and we'd see Christmas, and that was the Christmas tree with all the presents and everything. And that's what we think of when we think of Christmas, isn't it? Uh, unfortunately, that's not the true meaning of Christmas, is it? I mean, we think about all that time that we spend with family and all the, the fun things that we do, and we think about the Christmas tree and all the gifts and everything. Uh, but really, uh, when we uh, do that, we really are celebrating ourselves, aren't we? We're celebrating ourselves and all the presents under the tree are for, for us. It reminds me of a story of a, a little boy that was uh, celebrating Christmas with his family and he got all the, uh, he was there with all of his family and all the presents were handed out and everybody got the presents and then the little boy looked up and he said, well, where's the presents for Jesus? And a lot of times we forget that that the whole significance of, of Christmas is Jesus. It's not about our presence. It's not about the Christmas tree. It's not about, and for a lot of us, it's about the food and the, all the desserts and everything, but it's not about that either. It's not about all those things at all. It's about Christ, and it's about our relationship to Him. And today I want to uh, focus on the most important aspect of Christmas and it's not even what you think, probably, because it goes even deeper to that than that. Uh, so many of us, uh, we, uh, when we sing these wonderful hymns about Christmas, we sing about Jesus Christ coming and, and Christ coming to be with us. But I want us to think about a little bit about what the significance of Jesus Christ coming truly means. In Isaiah chapter 40, And again, you don't have to turn there, but if you were to uh, write that down and look it up later, you would see uh, an aspect of the prophet Isaiah. He's talking to the people of Israel, and he's talking about uh, the significance of what God is doing. And uh, he says in verse 5, "...and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed..." And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And what he's talking about is, is the, he's talking about the glory of the Lord. In fact, if you go and you look at Luke chapter 2 verse 9, where uh, we typically pick up the story of <coughs> the birth of Jesus, you'll, you'll see that uh, the, uh, the shepherds were in their fields attending their flocks, and it says, and lo, what? The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The glory of the Lord, that was what the angels were singing about, was the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord that was was being shown to the world. The glory of God's presence. The angels focused on that at the birth of Jesus. And, And really, if you consider it, It is truly the Christmas story to consider the fact that the glory of the Lord, the glory of God is coming 
to dwell amongst us. So Isaiah, if you if we go back to that reference in Isaiah, and Isaiah is really a prophet of God that is describing uh, uh, for. 35 chapters, chapters 1 through 35 of Isaiah, it is nothing but uh, destruction, it's nothing but wrath, it's nothing but uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, condemnation of Israel. I, uh, it is the judgment of Israel, it is the vengeance of God coming upon them, uh, upon Israel because of their actions. And then we get to Isaiah chapter 36 through 39 and that one small sliver of, of Scripture there in those few chapters deal with the situation, the setting. And Isaiah describes and tells everyone why it is that this destruction, this, this wrath, this judgment of God is coming. It's because Israel has lost their first love. It's because Israel has, has overlooked the fact that the whole reason for their being is because God has chosen them and God has selected them and God has imparted upon them His wonderful love. And so we see in this uh, small three-chapter sliver an understanding of what's going on. And then we come to chapter 40. Chapter 40 through 66 of Isaiah is a lengthy description of the salvation of God, of God's mercy, of God's love, of God's deliverance of the people of Israel. It's not all doom and gloom throughout Isaiah uh, it, the whole focus of the book of Isaiah comes to Isaiah chapter 40 and following. And, and it's at that point that we read in Isaiah 40 verse 1, He says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Now remember, this; these are people that have endured such uh, 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 destruction and, and havoc because of the judgment of God, because of God's condemnation. And then all of a sudden God is saying, but I want you to understand you are to have comfort. Why? Why are you having comfort? Say, uh, why is God bringing comfort? He says, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned and that she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so we see in ch- uh, verse 2 that that... God is bringing about a pardoning of their iniquity. God is bringing a forgiveness. This is the hope that Israel is to have is that, that all of a sudden in the midst of all of this wrath and all of this judgment, that God's hope is still there, that the hope and God's salvation is still there, that God can bring about this, this redemption in their life. And, and folks, that's the story that we need to understand that God is dis- demonstrating to us is that that He is willing, in spite of the fact that we receive the, the condemnation of our sin, in spite of the fact that in, in, in all the things that we do, and all the, uh, the transgressions that we do, that God is going to bring judgment upon our, our sinfulness, but in spite of all of that, that His grace, His love, His mercy, His salvation is coming to us, and we are to be comforted in the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And that comfort comes in the presence of God in our midst. In Jesus Christ. And so God continues to describe to Israel uh, this, uh, this 
this bringing of hope, he says in verse 3, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be uh, exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So we see in in verse 3 and following uh, through to verse 5 that God is bringing about His glory. His glory will be in our presence. And if that verse verse 3 sounds familiar, it is a description of John the Baptist that is used in Matthew uh, I mean, excuse me, in Luke chapter 2 of uh, uh, the one crying in the wilderness that is the fulfillment of God's uh, decla- declaration that the glory of God will be seen. Verse 5, it says that God's glory will be seen by all and that Jesus Christ is that glory. Then if you uh, uh, skip down in, in verse 8, it says, "...and the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever." God's word, God's declaration of His forgiveness will stand forever in spite of all the things that happen to us, in spite of all the, the sinfulness in our heart. God's forgiveness is not temporary. God's forgiveness is not transitory. God's forgiveness is not temp- uh, 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 conditional upon on anything other than our acceptance of His love and His salvation. God's Word is forever. And so we see throughout Scripture a declaration of God's grace, God's glory. That is the important thing of of Christmas, and that is the glory of God. The glory of God was seen by mankind. Uh, If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, we see that God's glory uh, came and walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the night. And we see that God's presence was with them as they walked before sin entered into the world. And then we see that that, uh, God's glory was revealed to Moses as he uh, was uh, prepared by God to lead Israel out of uh, slavery in Egypt. Uh, Moses came upon the very presence of God in the burning bush. And His glory was seen in that. And, and God told Moses that he was to take his sandals off and kneel because he was in the presence of God. The glory of God was there at the burning bush. And then Moses uh, later, as God was leading the children of Israel out of uh, uh, darkness, he's, uh, Moses asked to see the glory of God in Exodus chapter 33. This is while God's presence is on Mount Sinai and Moses is up there with God. And uh, God says, No man has seen my face and lived. And He said, But I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and place my hand over it and I'll pass by. And after I go by, I'll remove my hand and you'll see the essence of my glory is what He was saying. You'll see the thing that was left behind as I passed by. And He said, That'll be all that you can handle at this time. 
And then we see in Leviticus chapter 9 that Moses uh, tells Israel that God will show him his glory. And then in Exodus 16, uh, we see the manna of God that God has given to Israel as they're out in the wilderness and they're uh, uh, asking for water and they're asking for food and God uh, rains down bread from heaven and that's the glory of God being shown in His providence for His people. Then we see in Exodus 24 verse 15 that God's glory is on Mount Sinai as He speaks with the people of Israel. In Exodus 40 we see the completion of the tabernacle as God is is outlined for Moses and His people, the people of Israel. He says, I want to tent amongst you and I want a place in which you can, uh, when, where you can come and meet with me. And so uh, uh, that's so that they wouldn't have to go up to Mount Sinai all the time in order to meet with God. And so God gives them the description of what was to be built and they built the tabernacle and they're coming to the tabernacle for the first time and it says that God's presence uh, shattered over the tabernacle there. And a great cloud filled the glory, uh, the cloud of the glory of God filled the tabernacle. In Leviticus 9, at a time in which the priesthood is initiated, God's presence uh, comes and fills the place at that time. In Numbers 14, verse 10, Israel is at Kadesh Barnea and they're refusing to enter into the promised land, and God is bringing about. His judgment upon Israel for the fact that they're not following Him in faith and His presence is there. It's not just a time of celebration, a time of good things, but also when God brings about judgment. In number, uh, let's see, number 16, verse 19, there's an incidence of three men who, when they were seeing the, the uh, uh, Levites performing the, the duties of uh, the priesthood, they began to desire to do that and they took up censers and began to, uh, to burn a, uh, uh, an offering of incense in those censers, not in accordance with God's desire. And God caused the earth to open up and swallow them whole, uh, them and their whole families because of what they had done. Then in verse uh, 1 Kings 8, verse 11, we see that Solomon is uh, uh, there praying about the completion of the temple in Jerusalem. And, and it says that the glory of God comes and fills the temple. In 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1, we see the first time in which an offering is made in the temple and God's glory fills it. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4, it's the only account of what it is like to see the Shekinah glory of God in which Ezekiel declares and he shares, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north and a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself and a bright, uh, brightness was about it and out of the midst thereof was color of amber and out of the midst of it was fire. <coughs> These are all things that Ezekiel sees before God takes him in order to see the Shekinah glory. And he says in verse 5, Also out of the midst thereof came a likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings, and their, four, and their feet were straight feet, and their sole of their feet was like that of the sole of the cast foot, and they sparkled like the color of the burnished brass, and they had hands of a man under their wings, and their 
uh, on their four sides and, they, and the four of their faces and their wings. And he goes on to describe these beings. In verse 15 it says, And now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, the one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures was his, uh, with his four faces. And the appearance of the wheels and their work was likened to the color of the beryl. And they uh, four had one likeness in their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And so we see Ezekiel giving us a description of all of this. Then in verse uh, 26 it says, Above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne and as the appearance of sapphire stone. And then upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness of an appearance of a man above it, upon it. And I saw the color of amber as the appearance of fire round about within it uh, from the appearance of, of his loins even up, upward and from the appearance of his loins even downward I saw as it were the appearance of fire and it was the brightness round about and the appearance of the bow that was in the cloud in the rain, uh, day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness round about, and this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So he's saying here in verse 28 that this is what the glory of the Lord looks like. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. And so Ezekiel is telling us what it's like to see the very presence of God, and it is a... Uh, very similar to the description of Jesus Christ that we see and uh, saw in the book of Revelation as we went through that description of it. So, this is the true Christmas story. Turn uh, back with me if you've been uh, following along. Go back to Hebrews chapter 1. And we read in the first four verses, it says, And God who was at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, and hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he hath made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he hath by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, and he hath by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So what we see here is that God is presenting his glory. And, and throughout Scripture we have seen uh, the description of God's glory in several different ways. First of all, we, we read about the, the heavens declaring the, the glory of God. All of God's creation, all of, the, all of that what God has created has expressed the glory of God. But it's just a very a faint image of the glory of God. Then we see that, that God's glory has been presented to us in the Shekinah glory that we see in His presence with mankind as we see what He did with Moses and with the children of Israel and how He led them through the wilderness. And, and it was the Shekinah glory of God that was the, the pillar of cloud by day and the uh, pillar of fire by night and the cloud that filled the temple and the tabernacle, the cloud that, that came upon the, uh, the uh, top of Mount Sinai and the presence of the people uh, there at different times. Then we see in Scripture that, that God has, 
expressed Himself and the glory of God has been shown in the words of the prophets as we see uh, throughout uh, the writings of Ezekiel and Isaiah and all the ones who who declare the message of God and have shared the, the very presence of God and His Word and what God has been sharing with us. But those are all just faint whispers of God's presence. They're, they're faint uh, images of the glory of God. And then we come to this period of time in the New Testament in which the glory of God is declared by the angels to the uh, first to the shepherds and then uh, uh, to all of us as they declare the glory of God. And God speaks by His Son uh, it says, And God, who in very sundrous times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto, uh, unto the fathers by the prophets, but He hath in the last days spoken unto us by His Son. Paul is sharing with the uh, Hebrew people that, that Jesus Christ is the, the personification of the glory of God. The glory of God is being shown in Jesus Christ and the things that He did as He walked through life, as He went about His work, as He went about His living His life as a, as a testimony for us and, and all the things that He spoke to us. It was no longer a whisper of God's glory. It was no longer a faint image of God. God's glory. It was no longer a, a fleeting image of God's glory, but it is the fullness of God is shown in Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter one verse twenty says uh, that all the uh, all the promises of God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and so it is that through Jesus Christ that the glory of God is proclaimed. The glory of God is, is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. In fact, look with me in chapter, uh, verse 2. It says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also He hath made the worlds. Look at that first phrase there. He has spoken unto us by His Son, if you've got a Bible like mine, uh, his is probably italicized. Well, they did that for a reason in the Scripture, and that is because that word his, that definite article his, is actually not in the Greek text. In fact, it says that, uh, that it is uh, seen by his sonness. It's a word that we're not able to really understand in terms of a... Uh, uh, English without putting the definite article there of His. God spoke by sonness. Jesus Christ is the means in which, by which God is proclaiming Himself to us. And it is an expression of God's uh, uh, glory that we see in the person of Jesus Christ. And God is doing that because He has appointed Jesus Christ to be... Uh, he is appointed heir of all things, it says in verse 2. He is appointed heir of all things. Uh, Jesus Christ is not just simply a man that was born that God found favor with like, he did, uh, like God did with Noah 
as He uh, prepared to uh, destroy the world and save humanity by Noah and his children, by the ark. That's not, that's not uh, uh, what we see here. It's not that God is, is seeing in, in Jesus Christ a, 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 a godly man like God set, uh, saw in Abram when uh, He pulled Abram away from the rest of His people in the Ur of Chaldees. It's not anything like that. Jesus Christ is different and distinct in that He is the, uh, the uh, glory of God. He is appointed heir of all things. He is God incarnate is what that really means of being appointed an heir of all things by whom also He hath made the worlds. He says, look, Jesus Christ isn't just simply appointed the heir of God because He did something good or He had good faith or He uh, was following God in the right way. He is God because He, I mean, He is the glory of God because He is God with us. He is God incarnate. He is the heir of all things because He is God. That's who He is. And He is also the Creator of all things. He says, I, uh, Jesus Christ made the worlds. Verse 3 it says, "...who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person." Jesus Christ is, is not just someone who is like God, not someone who has, uh, 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 as some religions want to say, that Jesus Christ was a wise teacher and, and became like God because He ascended into a likeness of God and got so much like God that, that He was elevated. No, He is the sun, the brightness of God's glory. He is the image of God's glory. He is the express image of His person. And he says, and he and, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he says, look, the, the reason in which Jesus Christ is significant is because of what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. He purged our sins. He, we were just like Israel back in Isaiah. In Isaiah's time, Israel was, was being condemned and being judged because of their sinfulness. And we're just like them. And then God comes along and finally brings about mercy and justice. Uh, uh, in the midst of His justice, He brings mercy. He gives us uh, uh, an opportunity to, to, to see a hope that can be found. And it's because of Jesus and what He did for us on the cross. He purged our sins and then He sat down at the right hand of the, uh, of the majesty on high. He resumed His place of glory and that His taking upon... And the reason that He puts it that way is that, look, we don't need to think that because Jesus Christ went to the cross and bore our sins that Jesus is now outcast... No, this was the plan of God. He sits at the right hand of the majesty of God because His going to the cross was the plan that God had from the beginning of time. He wasn't, Jesus Christ didn't uh, get uh, uh, banished because He took our sins, He took our punishment so that our sins would be uh, paid for. And then it says that He was exalted being made so much better than the angels, and as he hath the inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So Jesus Christ 
receives an excellent name. The name, the Lamb of God, the, the one who <coughs> was placed on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. The one who exhibited the glory of God in His very person took upon Himself our sins, our disgrace, our punishment that we might be able to come back into the presence of God and that God may, might be able to embrace us, that God might be able to love us, that God might be able to look it upon us and see the goodness of Jesus Christ, to see the glory of Jesus Christ shared upon us that we might come into His presence and that we might love Him and that we might be made complete by His plan in our life. This is the message of Christmas. It's the message of, of the glory of God coming and tenting amongst us. Isaiah, in 50, Isaiah 53 says that uh, His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. God tenting with us, literally, in Hebrew. God coming and dwelling with us, being with us, the glory of God descending and being in our presence. That is the message of Christmas. Jesus Christ is the gift that is supreme at this time. Jesus Christ is the focus, His glory, the glory of God coming and dwelling amongst us that we might have salvation, that we might have redemption, that we might be able to say along with Isaiah uh, the words that he shared with the people of Israel when he says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith God. The comfort of God comes upon us because of His wonderful gift of Jesus Christ. And that, the glory of the Lord, is the true message, the true meaning of Christmas. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, Lord, we thank You and praise You for Your great love. and We praise You that You've given us the privilege of Your presence amongst us, that You have provided for us a way to receive Your glory, to see Your glory in our life, to have our sins applied to the cross. Lord, we pray that if there's someone here today that needs to know Christ, if there's someone here today that needs to understand the significance of Your presence, of this time in our life, of worshiping and celebrating Your glory coming down to us, Lord, we pray that they would accept Christ into their life today. Lord, help us to draw close to You, to be committed to living for You. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.